I've always been an entrepreneur at heart. My name is Elon Jacobson, and deal-making is in my DNA. I'll be here each week talking with entrepreneurs and deal-makers about the crazy obstacles they've faced along their paths, and whether it's nature or nurture driving their success. Expect the unexpected on a deal-maker's DNA. All right, everyone, welcome back to another episode of uh, Dealmaker's DNA. This episode will, I believe, be the most interesting. Most of the episodes that we've done in the past have been me asking questions of a fellow entrepreneur about their journey and really being the, the questionnaire and, 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 and it's about them. This is going to be a bit of a combination because uh, I'm interviewing my mother, Marsha Jacobson. I still haven't decided what I'm going to call uh, my mother during this uh, podcast, so it might it might change from Marsha to mom. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna see because Marsha is very unnatural for me. But this is a, this is an interesting one, and the, and the reason that I wanted to to do this is uh, my mother is a, an incredibly accomplished person. My intestinal fortitude, my never quit attitude, uh, all of that for sure comes from her. And just just by a little bit of background, and I'm gonna I'm gonna get you to give a bit of your background as well. Um, um, so, my mother is a uh, a clinical psychologist, studied in in South Africa. Uh, we moved to to Canada when I was four in '87. Uh, she was, it was amazing. She was 30, and I'm aging you, mom. Sorry, uh, but you know the, the the reason I say that is, you know, when you're a kid, you think your parents are old. I mean, now that I'm 37. Moving your whole life at 30 sounds like an absolute insane task to me. But she, she, she really has delved deep into the ideas of, of EQ as, a, as an adult, uh, has written some children's books that focus on helping parents uh, speak about you know, touchy subjects and EQ-related matters with their children, and uh, has been very instrumental in helping me develop the, uh, I guess, the confidence and personality that I have. And... I guess, you know, as, as someone who's advocated for nature uh, versus nurture, I couldn't not have half of my nature. So, Mom, welcome, and thank you for, for joining me. I know this isn't your, your most natural, most comfortable place to be. No, I, I may have given you the confidence, but I think I sort of sucked it out of myself to give it to you. <laughs> I don't have the confidence that you have. Yeah. I guess that's what, that, as, as a parent, that's what you do, right? You try and give everything to your children, so... I guess uh, we, we, we just sucked you dry. <laughs> yeah, you sucked me dry for sure. So, so Mom, for, the, for those who don't know you, I mean, talk, talk about your early life. I mean, obviously, I know everything about you, but, you know, talk about how you grew up. I, knew you, I know you grew up quite poor. Maybe you didn't view it at that, like that at the time. Talk about kind of your familial background, kind of what led you to being the person you are, because you, you're definitely the matriarch of our extended family at this point. Okay, well, I, I think that it's a good. This is a good time to do the podcast because I'm working probably a good halfway through a book on my journey with depression, and I've had to go back to my childhood a lot. I grew up in. I grew up poor, but I it never. I never felt poor. We always had food on the table. Um, I know that some of my sisters did feel the poverty. I know my mother drove this Vauxhall Victor that my father had bought for her, I think for 20 Rand at the time. And it had no brakes, literally had no brakes. And my one sister wouldn't let my mother drop uh, her at school because she was really embarrassed about this car. But I thought, oh, this is fantastic. I'm getting a ride to school. And that kind of thing just never bothered me for some 
reason. I don't know why. So, yes, I did grow up poor, and I grew up very happy, but I also grew up with the message to be happy. And that's, I think, been the biggest thing that I've battled with. I've, I, was, I was the happy one. I was, my father particularly loved the fact that I was very, I was full of fun. I was very adventurous, always been very adventurous. So when I got depressed at the age of 13, my life changed um, considerably because they did not like the fact that I was not the happy little girl anymore. So I sort of think of my life in two stages, before the age of 13 and after the age of 13. And you're very open. I mean, you're, look, although you suffer from depression and some anxiety, I mean, the one thing that I've learned, and, and I'm very vocal about myself suffering for depression and anxiety in my life, thank you very much for that nature. Appreciate that. I can't wait for the nature-nurture question. Yeah, and you know that uh, you've been very instrumental in my kind of confidence and being an advocate in that area and being comfortable with suffering. I mean, look, I use an excuse that depression and anxiety is an affliction of the extremely intelligent. So that's how I rationalize that in my brain. So no, I'm just kidding. But, uh, you know, what is, that's clearly shaped a huge part of you because I guess going through struggle always shapes someone in, in unique ways. What are the things that you're super happy for about going through struggle that you wouldn't have been if you hadn't? Strangely enough, I'm very grateful for the fact that when I got depressed at 13 for the very first time, I'm very grateful that I had no one. And by that, I don't mean my parents didn't love me, my parents loved me. And both of them suffered. I I realized that in later years, but they didn't want me to suffer. So they tried to ignore it as much as they could. So I literally had no one to turn to. I didn't know that depression existed. It hit me like a punch in the face. Were, were, you, were you even able to label it back then or, or only now? No, I wasn't. I just knew that I was terrified all the time. And I eventually, my parents took me to, and I know you know this story, they took me to a psychiatrist because only because I had stopped eating, not because I had anorexia. I'd stopped eating from anxiety. And I was, my bones were sticking out and my mother got to a point where she noticed that and thought, I guess, what are other people going to think when they see my daughter who is, looks like disgusting. So they took me to a psychiatrist who was just an amazing woman because she asked me why I wasn't eating. And I said, because I feel nauseous. And she was a psychiatrist, please bear, bear this in mind. And she put me on a medication called Stematil, which is the equivalent of gravel. So I walked around like a zombie until the depression lifted, taking gravel every single day of my life. So that was my first introduction into psychiatry. So I'm very grateful. I'll tell you why. I'm very grateful that I had no help because I think it was a whole combination of things. It was a combination of me having a very inquiring mind. I think that's in my genetic makeup. The reason she's smiling is because we disagree on how much is nature and nurture. So we're going to get, we're, we are going to get to that. I think I'm getting a little closer to you though. Anyway, so it's, I think that is in our genetic makeup. And I also found that um, when you have to do something on your own, when you have to figure out things on your own, you grow from it. So I'm very grateful for that. And I've got to a point now, I mean, this is fast forwarding, forwarding I don't know, I can't do the math. I'm 62, so I was 13. I've got to the point now when I'm 
actually, I, I like who I am. I even like my depression because my depression makes me who I am. And I accept that. And I've also realized that depression is, you, you say it's an affliction of the intelligent. I know I'm intelligent, but I don't think it discriminates. I think it's, and people think people, if you're depressed, you're miserable. Like a lot of people don't, don't believe me when I tell them I suffer from depression because I'm a very happy person and very joyful and I love to laugh and have fun when I'm not depressed. You, you talk about people not believing you. Just imagine me who's an extrovert among extroverts. So I uh, totally get it. So, I mean, you landed up eventually doing a degree in psychology and you hadn't even labeled that depression at that time. So do you think that you were just drawn to it? Like what? what, oh, what? I had labeled it by then. Oh, you had? Okay. I had labeled because the second I, I kind of, it kind of went into, let's call it remission until first year university. And in first year in university, I probably had one of the worst depressions I've ever had. And I'd started dating daddy and he stuck with me. So he was a keeper. So I had labeled it. I didn't like it, hated it, hated myself, hated everything about it, but I had labeled it. So when I finished my undergrad, I applied to do clinical psychology because it drew me. I wanted to find out about me, I guess. So you practiced, I know, and I know that was difficult because you couldn't really leave it all in the, you know, in the office. I practiced for a very short time, very, very short time. And then, you know, I'm fast forwarding a little bit, but you had me at 26. I'm the eldest of, of four of your kids. 25. 25, okay. I thought it was 26. And then uh, you left to come to Canada when you were 29, 30. What, what led you to that decision? How difficult was that for you at the time? Emigrating was never on my radar. I was way too afraid of things generally. And I was very, very close to my family. And I felt the idea of leaving my family was just absolutely horrendous for me. And then my father died. Zayda died very suddenly. And he was 68. And my whole world was turned upside down, not only because he died, but because I hadn't, it was hard for me to kind of see a world where I didn't have that kind of control that that my parents would be in the world. So I think that got me thinking I could be somewhere, because daddy always wanted to emigrate. South Africa was a real shit show at the time. And um, he always wanted to emigrate. So when my father died, I started to feel I'm not secure anywhere. I have to work on myself and make myself secure wherever I am. So what's the difference here or there? Hearing you talk is going to make people a lot more aware of why I preach self-awareness. And it's one of the, my, I think my greatest gifts is that I am self-aware. I don't think people have gotten to know me outside of being someone who knows how to be inquisitive and, and question and be an extrovert. Maybe, you know, for those uh, who are listening, you can, you can talk about the early years and, and you know, I'm going to jump around and super ADD. Maybe describe, because I, I, when I do it, people just don't believe me because, you know, I'm this kind of massive extrovert. Oh, and I always remember that point where we had this discussion when you were an adult, because I've told you how you were as a kid, and you said that you felt, and I've always found it so interesting, that you felt that your, this is you and who you were as a kid was not you. Yeah, the fake version. Yes, yes. Because as a child, you were very cautious, quiet, 
afraid of a lot of things. This Carson reminds me so much of you. It's like not even funny. That, that, that's my eight-year-old son. Yeah. Um, I mean, you were, for example, like I remember once you had a birthday, we had a birthday party and Gav, that's um, for people who don't know my, Russell's late brother, dressed up as a character and he put on a mask. And every time he put on the mask, you went absolutely hysterical and he took off the mask and you saw it was him and you were fine and he'd show you himself putting on the mask and it didn't matter as soon as that mask was on you went absolutely hysterical i sound pretty dumb i mean it was those kinds of things like we once went to a party where first of all you never left i I could never leave you anyway you were totally attached like attachment issues like you wouldn't believe i think you were 12 before you you went to a sleepover at a friend's house and then we still and then we still had to come and get you in the middle of the night because you wanted to come home in the snowstorm but anyway i'm jumping ahead but i remember going there was a party where there were clowns and we had to walk out of the house that wasn't good enough we had to walk down the road that wasn't good enough we had to turn the corner so that you couldn't see the house that the party was in before you calmed down so you were very a very anxious child, and you were very introspective. You went through a major death anxiety when you were eight years old, like major, we had to get psychologists involved. I was part of the problem, apparently. Anyway, I've apologized to you for that because I think I didn't, I think I handled it badly. So speaking on that, I mean, look, as you know, I had a pretty tough childhood from my perspective. You know, I was a fairly overweight kid. I got bullied. It wasn't super easy. But, you know, for me now as, a, as an adult, I'm a massive believer that like you put something under pressure and, you know, you, you generate diamonds, you put something under pressure and you, you, you find something that comes out of it with, with, with more resolve. So I view that, that kind of, you know, period in a very positive light now because it's, it helped shape me into the person that I think, you know, I don't know many people that have the intestinal fortitude and the strength and the will and the drive that I have, right? I really pride myself in those characteristics. And I think a huge part of it comes from struggle. Um, And I think people downplay how important things going wrong are in one's development. I would go so far as to say that you only grow from struggle. I very much believe that. I think people who don't go through struggles or sometimes people go through struggles, like I'm thinking of one person in particular, they go through, you go through struggles, but that struggle doesn't impact you. <laughs> it's like some people take it more to heart than others. Um, but I think if you go through a, go through struggle and feel that struggle, you grow, that's how you grow. So, so did you see the hints of what I would become, you know, from, a, I guess, from a business standpoint early on in my life? Because I would find it hard to think that you did. I mean, I was, I was a bit of a suck. I know that when I was younger, the teachers, I remember distinctly one teacher when I was in like grade two, you know, kind of pulled you guys aside and said I was dumb as a doorknob or something to that degree. And that, you know, I I had a hard time learning to read. You know, I don't think anyone thought that I had a high IQ at the time. I always did. And I'm, and I'm not, I'm not talking. I mean, maybe I am talking as a mother, but you, you, you know, your kid. I mean, when that particular teacher called us in, I literally wanted to punch her in the face because I thought, how could you get a kid so wrong? Because she said that you were always looking out the window and you weren't listening to anything she said. And I said, well, I know my son and he looks 
And even to this day, you're like that. So some things haven't changed in that respect. You look like you're not taking it in, but you take in everything. Your son's like that, takes in everything. And so I said to her, I said, he's not daydreaming. He's just looking out the window, but he's, his ears are open. So maybe you need to reassess the situation. I might not have said that so nicely at the time. So, so did you see, like, you know, I, I wanted to be a doctor my whole life, right? So, like, I think that that's the vision that all of us had for my life was being that doctor that I thought I was going to be. You know, land up getting into medical school and not going to medical school. Well, what is it about, you know, my personality that you think has led to where I sit today? Well, firstly, I remember that night when you told us you were not going to medical school and you were like a little anxious to tell us. And I remember feeling that night, why didn't we see this before? Because this is clearly not the right path for you. You'd already shown, uh, Lenny, you think we didn't know, but we knew that you were selling your bus tickets in high school. I mean, you you had a business brain, you know, we we knew that. And we also, I mean, you know, I remember you buying and selling your, uh, your baseball cards, just little things like that. You always had a business brain and you always, I mean, you always had a math brain. Your math ability is quite off the charts. Um, so I always knew that you had that potential. And I think it was just really as you grew up and went through the whole, should I, you know, I'm going to become a doctor thing. I think your interests took you where they were supposed to take you. Quite honestly, medicine would not have been a good choice for you. You know, I've spoken to a lot of the people that I've interviewed in the past about how important it, selecting a good life partner is in becoming the best version of yourself, right? I know that you and you and dad have an incredible relationship and I've always said that. You know, you, you witnessed... And you've been, you've been an observer, me entering into a relationship with my now wife at 18 years old, you know? And for me, I look, I look back at that and it is so clear to me that that was a massive, pivotal change point in my life. It gave me confidence. It, it made me a better person. I, I just felt like I was able to do more things because I had a real lack of confidence in that department prior to that. And my wife is incredible, as, as you know. I think the best thing about, the best thing about your relationship with Kerry and has always been is that she has always let you be exactly who you are and who you want to be. Never putting restrictions. Sometimes I actually think like I was married to him, I'd slap him. But <laughs> She doesn't. She's, yeah. she's amazing with you. What was your observation on those earlier years and how, how much impact do you think it, it did make on me and kind of my trajectory? Earlier, what do you mean? When I first started dating and, you know, transitioned into that relationship. I don't, I don't know. That's a hard question. It, it, be more specific. I'm, I'm not sure I'm I, understanding. I felt like my confidence went through the roof when she entered my life, as an example. I felt like I changed completely. It was the beginning stages of me becoming who I really thought I was. That was a real... You think? Why do you think you changed at that point? Because it provided me like, like confidence in that I had someone who believed in me and loved me, who supported me in a different way than a parent could. It's a different relationship. And it's so important, I think, to have a partner like that. We know too many who don't have that sort of relationship. And you, know, you talk about having a supportive partner and you can't under, 
estimate the importance of that. That's been my observation is that she has allowed you to be exactly who you want to be. One of the things I've always spoken about with people is like, they ask me what I value most. And one of the first three things I always say is loyalty. Loyalty has always been one of the most important things for me. And, you know, when I look at our extended family, we have like a hundred aunts, uncles, cousins, blah, blah, blah. And we have zero divorces in our family. Like, where does that stem from? Is that genetic? Is it culturally ingrained in the patterns of behavior we have? Is it like, why is that? Because it is so strange. I've never actually thought about why. I think about it all the time because it's very weird. You're actually right. I, I never thought about that. I can't name your divorce. Not one. I'm trying to think. <laughs> well, I can think of like my first cousins, but you're talking about our immediate sisters and brothers and stuff. I don't know. But loyalty is something that you absolutely value. Yeah. In our family. Yeah. For me, divorce, I mean, I grew up in a, my parents fought a lot. They actually, they fought a lot over money, mostly, and over my mother's family. Anyway, that's another whole story. But divorce was never an option. I think when you go into a marriage thinking divorce is an option, that that is kind of a, could be a recipe for divorce. I fought with dad many, many times. Never, ever has divorce been an option. Just not an option. Let's transition to, I think, what's going to be the most fun part of this conversation is this nature and nurture. You listen to some of my podcasts, you know my view on it. And, you know, I want to be very clear on my point is I think it's 80% nature, but there is absolutely no question that nurture plays a role. And what I say is that as you go up the tree and you hit the, the first 10 branches, math brain, not athletic, look, boom, you go up that first branch. And then you go up the next branch, the next branch. And in that cluster of branches, there's the billionaire and there's the drug addict. So it's not like I don't think that nurture doesn't play a role in that entire spectrum of those two things. But I do believe that I was never going to be every other part of that tree. I really think that I was, that's like, you know, my, my, my math brain. I mean, I can do math in my head that people can't do on calculators. It's just, that's just innate. That's not a learned skill. I've always had that. I mean, I got hundred percent in calculus. It just came naturally to me. Is it show off? <laughs> <laughs> well, I got 70% in, uh, in, in an essay course. So don't worry about it. It's like, you ask me a metaphor and a poem and I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. <laughs> I knew we were going to have this conversation, so I thought last night about it. And I asked myself this question, could I have been anything? And the answer is clearly no. I cannot dance, for example. I like to dance. Can't sing. I can sing. <laughs> um, I know I can't. There's certain things that I know that there's certain things that people can't do. And you, know, you talk about the math brain. Everybody in our family has more of a math brain. There's certain things I know that I couldn't have been. Where I am today, I think, has been very influenced by my genetic makeup. And not just about, and I'm not just talking about abilities, talking about the way I process things. My adventure, some nature, I think is pretty genetic. It's been there from the get-go. My drive, it's been there from the get-go. I mean, I've done things, as you know, that I'm not really like doing the, the ride to conquer cancer. I mean, you, you did that with me. I'm not an athlete. Let's just state facts. I'm not an athlete. My mother had never ridden a bike, basically, and we rode 245 <laughs> kilometers. No, I did. I rode a bike. In fact, I was the only one of my sisters who rode a bike as a kid. My point is you were never a rider. 
<laughs> no, I was not a rider. So I think that even the things that we think are, are nurture, like me riding that bike, the ride to conquer cancer, I'm not genetically really geared to be a, any kind of athlete whatsoever. But my determination came into play. And I think that is genetic. So I'm kind of getting, I'm kind of feeling more and more closer to how you view genetics. And again, people, people, when I say 80-20, people can confuse it because they say, well, no, no, nature's more important. No, like we are far more ingrained in what we are than we, we want to admit. Because people don't like the idea of fatalism. They, they, they like the idea of I could be anything I want to be. And I actually don't like that idea. I love the idea of you're born with a special, unique skill set that's different to someone else, no different than you looking different to everyone else. And I think the one of the points of life is getting to a point where you build on that self-awareness, where you can really become the best version of yourself, right? And that's the nature side of it. The nature side of it is, is, is the worst version of yourself and the best version of yourself are the nurture sides of that, which is, I'd argue that 20% is probably more important because it's, it's, it's really what ultimately you lead up, you land up doing, right? Nature just is. Exactly. I've written a section in my book called Choice. And the reason I've written it is because I don't really like the way people talk about choice because they talk about, oh, you can choose the way you feel, particularly when it comes to mental illness. Choose the way you feel. Choose to do this. Choose to do that. I think it's more a matter of working hard at something that you don't have, you know, if, say, for example, take something like, like math, where one person has, if it's on a scale of one to 10, you may have somebody at a five who works really hard. And that also depends on their nature, their determination, their perseverance, um, which is, it's kind of, I mean, I'm sure that there's influences on nurture, how you were parented, but working hard to me is what I think people refer to as choice. So if I don't have the ability to ride a bike very well, but I work really hard at doing it, I can get a lot better. So I think that's kind of what you're saying as well, that, that, that 20%. Yeah, I think we, we even spoke about bravery, right? I think recently, or maybe it was someone, yeah. And it's like, it's not brave if it came easy to you. Right, yeah, like okay. of, of doing something brave, yeah, only brave in that act if it was hard, uncomfortable, right? So that's a very individualistic thing because, as you know, for me, a lot of things like I, I naturally like conflict. I run towards difficult situations, and I don't find it hard. So when people say that was really brave, your mother got stung by a, a jellyfish and you ran into the ocean. I'm like, that wasn't brave to me because that really wasn't hard. Where if someone did that and that was scary for them, that's very brave. So you know, it's, uh, it's the same sort of idea. Exactly. I think that's exactly what I'm talking about because I see being brave is when you get to the tipping point of what you are genetically programmed to do easily. And being brave is going past that and finding other aspects of your personality to help you with that. Like determination, like perseverance, like um, just jumping in, you know. I sometimes feel that's what I do. I just, I'm often the first one just to jump in and hold my breath. And that is brave. I know that's brave because I'm shaking, but I do it. So let's take a gear change for a second. 
it would be remiss to not talk about parenting. I mean, I'm super biased, but I think that you did a great job parenting your children. I'm the eldest of four. And as you always say, you got it more and more right as they went down the line. So I don't know what that says about me, but let's, let's have a quick discussion. But I couldn't love you more. I appreciate that. <laughs> let's, let's have a quick discussion. And I want you to be brutally honest. You know, I know this is, this, is, this is a challenging thing for you because you don't like putting people down. You don't like, you know, making people feel not as good. But let's really talk about some of the patterns of parenting that you've seen, in your opinion, just are bad and ones that are good and where people fuck up and don't get it right. And, you know, where you, you know, you've learned that, you know, this is potentially something you screwed up on and you've gotten better at. But are there, are there certain things or certain categories of things, let's start on the, on the bad side, where you think parents, and may, maybe they're very well-meaning, but in your opinion, it's probably not the right strategy. I think one of the biggest things for me, because that's the first thing that came into my head, what makes a better parent is somebody who behaves and does what they want to see in their child. So not do as I say but do as I do. So I think to me that's modeling is, I think, the the gold standard for parenting. We don't always model. It's not always possible because the one thing I'll say, there's no such thing as a perfect parent um, ever. You'll see the mistakes that your parents made, but you'll make your own. And that's just the way, that's because we're human and there's no such thing as a perfect human. But I think I think that's the biggest problem. I think that's parents can make mistakes with is they want their child to be a certain way, but they don't model it themselves. What about on the the discipline side? That's a topic that is so interesting. It's morphed over the years. Something that I think about. I smacked you. (laughs) I still love you. I I, I don't have a tick or anything. So it's, it's, it's all good. I didn't smack you much. I didn't smack you as much as Adam, actually. He was well, I mean, I mean, Just to put some context around that, I mean, in South Africa, the idea of not uh, smacking your child was, I don't even think that existed. Yeah. yeah. It's bad. They got, they got, as we say, clucked. Yeah. And we were so much better, our generation, when I was growing up. You got uh, hit by your teachers. Uh, my te- exactly. I was about to say that. Yeah. I mean, the girls got Can all black. Can you imagine teachers hitting children today? <laughs> The girls got off lucky because they got hit on their on their knuckles with a ruler. But I don't know if you if you know those wooden rulers with the metal piece. Okay, metal side down. That's how we got hit. But the boys got whipped with canes on their backsides. Anyway, I think that you and I are in agreement that having boundaries for children is super super important. Yeah, children yeah. need boundaries. But I also think, and I know, and I think you and I disagree on this. I think that there's such a thing as a parenting style. I think everybody has a different parenting style. That's why you can't have one book that says, this is the way you have to parent because people are so different. You know, you have somebody who's just a lot softer. I think I am softer than you as a parent, for example. And it wouldn't fit with me to be as, how would I describe your, your, you, you, you vary. If you say something, that's it. That wasn't always the case with me. I would often feel sorry for you. Like I 
discipline you or I'd threaten you and then I wouldn't go through with it because I just feel sorry and I because I'd second guess myself and think oh I shouldn't have said that and okay so I'm I'm not going to follow through with it but so I think there are different parenting styles and sometimes it's hard for somebody who's on the one extreme to understand the person on the other extreme but in my experience you can have kids from both extremes grow up to be very well-rounded children I think that the most important thing in parenting by far is to love your kids. You can make mistakes under the umbrella of love and you can even readdress them and apologize when your son is 37. One of the things I think you guys did quite well is, is really nurtured our own beliefs in ourselves. Like there wasn't anything that I said I wanted to do that you said, oh, you can't do. You know, the other thing that I think that I've got a lot from nurture, including nature, is is this idea of self-awareness. I know that I've preached this to you a million times over. It's why I'm successful. If, I, if someone were to ask me to one reason why I'm successful, I would say self-awareness. I think that I have a wildly advanced level of self-awareness, more so than anything else. I think that's very genetic. Yeah, it is. Yeah. <laughs> so here's a question. And I imagine you view your four children with different degrees of self-awareness, probably all quite matured self-awareness, but different degrees. How do you, because I think that we do agree on the fact that self-awareness is so important for anyone to, to be the best version of themselves. How, as a parent, can you help a child become the most self-aware version of themselves? I think self-awareness goes along with being in tune with your feelings. And I think that I like and I don't like the word authenticity. I actually mentioned that in my book, but I haven't found a better word. Um, I think that to live authentically, it's basically to be who you are and to communicate who you are. And the way that you can get your kids to do that is to create an environment for them that is very safe to be who they are. And by that, I mean, regardless of whether they are outgoing with their feelings or holding their feelings, just to constantly communicate to them that whatever they are is okay. Just to create that safety. I think a home should be a safe haven. No matter what goes on outside, you should be able to come home and feel safe emotionally. One of the things that I think that I am, and, and you are too, is quite like vulnerable. Right? I think that both of us are, are, are very comfortable in a vulnerable situation, meaning we can talk about some of those weaknesses that come with, with mental health issues as an example, where a lot of people try and hide those, those facts about them, where I view it as a strength, because what are you going to say to me that, A, I haven't said to myself, and B, I have enough confidence in my abilities and who I am that you're not going to affect my confidence in myself. How important, like that, that works for us, but do you think vulnerability as a characteristic is universally important? And if so, why? Hugely important. I'll tell you why. When people walk around and they only expose the best part of themselves, and if the whole world did that, if everybody did that, then we only expose the best part of the, ourselves to each other. Behind the scenes, who we really are, we'd be so lonely. And we'd have so many issues and, and there'd be depression and anxiety, which there is because a lot of people only expose the best parts of themselves, which is why I hate 
Facebook and so I really try and live very authentically and the older I'm getting the easier that's becoming I talk about the struggles that I have and I don't and what amazes me is I always go first because I've got so comfortable doing that so I will be very open about the fact that I suffer from depression and invariably there will be somebody that I connect with and somebody who will come to me on the side and say, I didn't know that you had that. And they'll start talking about themselves because people walk around trying to show the best versions of themselves. And why? When we all have these weaknesses, I've been reading a lot about uh, of Brené Brown's book. She's fantastic. And her research is on vulnerability and the importance of vulnerability and how it leads you to far greater happiness because when you can walk around being completely honest with yourself and completely authentic and there's nothing to hide, there's no energy spent in putting up barriers. You know, you just are who you are. And that to me is vulnerability. And I think people would be so much happier if they could just share those, what they would call weaknesses, what I would call humanness. So one of the other things that I wanted to try and accomplish in this particular podcast is like I said at the onset this podcast has not really been about me it's been about learning from others stories and 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 I've I've been the vessel to try and draw out those experiences from others but we might as well use this as an opportunity you know I don't really like talking about who I am but if, if you could reach out to those listeners now what should they know about me that's interesting that maybe I don't do a good enough job of exposing already just naturally from the way I talk and not the mom version, you know, like, <laughs> how can I separate that? Okay. One of the biggest things I know about you and that maybe other people won't is you go in fighting always. You, you go, as you say, towards conflict. You back me in a corner. Yeah. But regardless, and I have learned this time and time again, regardless of how you are responding in that moment, I know that whatever I say, you will go home and you will process. So you may not appear to be as good a listener as people might not see you as an amazing listener, but you, you are because you take it home and you process, like you really listen. Um, so that's the one thing I think they wouldn't know. The other thing is so you're you're kind of I'm not as, as aggressive as I, as I may come across. No, no. And you also have a, a real soft side to you. You're making me look very weak. I don't, I don't know if I like this. No, just joking. You have a real soft side to you. You're very protective of the family. You walk behind us when we're on vacation. You're at the back of the family when we're on vacation because you think somehow you're going to protect us from all the bad things out there. You have a softness to you that I don't think people would readily see in business. I don't know. I think you're pretty straightforward. You say mostly say things as you feel. I mean, the other thing, I guess, and I struggle with this sometimes with you, is I'll beat around the bush because you can be a little intimidating, even with me. And, you know, I don't want to, because I'm the opposite of you, I'm non-confrontational. I don't, I accomplish everything in my life in a touchy-feely way. And sometimes I'll beat about the bush and you'll say to me, just tell me what it is you want to say. And I realized that you really value direct communication. And I sometimes don't 
directly. So if anybody's listening who is struggling to communicate with you, I know that you value direct communication. If, if somebody's got a problem with you, they must come and tell you straight to your face. As a mother of, you know, I would say some quote-unquote accomplished children, I guess, especially in career-wise. No quote-unquote about it. Well, I mean, look, I could be a very successful entrepreneur, but if I'm a complete fucking psycho in other parts of my life, <laughs> am I successful? But I, look, I, I also have to be... If the she, mom, you, you, you've taught me well enough to be modest about uh, my... You're modest? <laughs> I can't help it. I was born this way. <laughs> but, uh, you know... How how would you recommend parents, you know, if they see someone, you know, this is called a deal maker's DNA. So you know what I am. You know that I've always been a deal maker in every part of my life. I've always been making deals with you to, you know, you know, stay, stay, uh, you know, awake later, right? As an example, as a kid. So how do you deal with a child that clearly has that, that entrepreneurial deal maker type personality? maybe differently than you would with another type of child. You were quiet, but you were not an easy child because of exactly that. You were always... Positioning. Yes. I was trying to think of the right word. And I would just say, and I often do say to to parents who are struggling with kids who are difficult to use, I hate that word, but let's just use it, is that difficult kids grow up to be great adults. Um, So I would just let... I would say just sometimes you have to suck it up as a parent and let your kids be who they are, even if they're not the quiet listening types, that's who they are. And, you know, a kid who who hits back all the time is going to grow up and be able to do that as an adult in an adult kind of way. And in business, it's a great characteristic. So I would just say, let them be them. And I have a, a really good friend who who said to me that I gave her advice once that she had also four kids and some of them were extremely difficult. The most difficult one now is a doctor. And she called me once almost in tears, like, what can she do with these kids? And I said to her, this too shall pass. And she said she just carried that sentence with her. And now all her kids are grown up. They're all fantastic, just as well now. So I would just say to parents, sometimes we get too stuck as parents in a particular phase. And even with young kids, why is my kid not getting diapers? I can't get out of diapers. I can't get them potty trained. They'll be potty trained by the time they're 20, I promise. Well, mom, thank you so much. Hopefully you forgot about the cameras. I did actually. It was fun. (laughs) Um, You know, for those that want to follow my mother, because I think that she's incredibly talented. Um, and very insightful and very emotionally aware and vulnerable and all those things. She's an amazing writer. You can follow her at marshajacobson.com. Uh, I know that you have... I've done nothing on that blog because I'm writing my book. I know, but you have, <laughs> you have historical blogs there. Yeah. You are writing a book, as you'd mentioned, and you've written a, a children's book in the past. I don't know if, you, if that's even available anymore. It's on amazon.com, I believe. <laughs> it's called Boom, Boom, Boom. Very, very interesting book. If you're having a child that suffers from anxiety in particular, uh, I would highly recommend getting the book. Boom, boom, boom. So thank you so much. And, uh, you know, hopefully this wasn't too painful. It was great. Thanks, sweetheart. That's it for this week. If you enjoyed what you heard, rate us and subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. Until next time on A Dealmaker's DNA, where you can expect the unexpected.